This episode of Nocturne is brought to you with support from the podcast Against the Odds from Wondery, about thrilling stories of survival as heroes push themselves to their limits. The new season, Plane Crash in the Andes, takes you on a journey of the unbelievable survival story of a terrifying plane crash and the passengers' grueling fight to stay alive. When the plane crashed in the Andes, the 32 survivors had to battle sub-zero temperatures and razor-thin air while they waited for rescuers to arrive. With its lush sound design and music and descriptive writing, I found myself palm-sweating and immersed in this harrowing true story, wondering how will they keep themselves alive without food, water, or warm clothing, and with no means of contacting the outside world. Lose yourself in this gripping adventure. Listen to Against the Odds on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. We have about one week left of our special offer treat bag campaign on Patreon. Sign up at $5 a month or more by October 22nd, and I'll send you a special treat bag in the mail with Nocturne stickers, a handwritten note, and more. If you don't know what Patreon is, it's pretty much what it sounds like. When you sign up, you become a patron of the show, like back in the old days, when artists were supported by individuals who loved their work. So for the price of one fancy cup of coffee a month, or kombucha, or I don't know, a vegan donut, you'll be helping to keep Nocturne going. Really, that's all it takes. So please, head over to patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast. Thank you. You're listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. My name is Devorah, and I currently live in Naharia, Israel. Devorah is retired now. But, well, I started out as a union representative, and then I became an a hearing officer arbitrator, and that turned into um, being an official, uh, like a pseudo-judge, like a Judge Judy, where you agree to have your cases brought before me. My esoteric self and my working self didn't always go hand in hand. (laughs) I don't even know how to explain this. I grew up um, being very close to nature and close to, some people have an affinity for seeing ghosts or seeing angels or whatever they're they're into, or, or if they just grew up that way, like I see dead people. Well, I don't really see dead people, but I had an affinity growing up to what I call the elemental spirits, the nature spirits. And I would see them when I was very young and growing up and they would talk to me and um, laugh, or I would see them as little sparks of light sometimes just dancing around. And I was never afraid. It was like petting a cat or having another animal that you're close with. It's just part of nature. So my little elemental friends taught me over the years certain beautiful practices to do that I could learn to honor and respect the world that we live in without it being religious. The elemental spirits in Devorah's life have taken many different forms. 
sometimes sparks of light. Sometimes I would see things that I thought was was an animal, like a squirrel or a chipmunk, and I would see it running, and then I would look, and it would stop and then look back at me, and I realized it wasn't a chipmunk or a squirrel at all because it actually had a face. So, <laughs> and there, I, I've had all different sort of encounters. When I bought my house in Los Angeles, and it was one of those old craftsman homes, which was wonderful, and I had a second story, but under the stairs, I realized first from the feeling I've got, I got, and then from me seeing this thing, I, I had it's about, I'd say about three foot high, what I called my gnome. A, a gnome, what you would think of as a gnome, this gnarly looking stone being that lived under the stairs, wasn't very sociable, and, and I took it for what it was, and until other people would ask me, you know, I just went into your kitchen to get a glass of water and I just saw the strangest thing. So I, I would get confirmation that it wasn't just me. And they would see the same thing. So I had a gnome that lived under the stairs. I had one time, I remember I was coming home from work and I would take the same side street route to avoid traffic. And I remember I was close to the sidewalk and I'm just, you know, going along slowly because it's a residential area. And I looked to the side and I said, oh, look at that sheep just sitting on the lawn there. And, I, and then I did a double take and I said, sheep? There's no sheep in Pasadena, you know? <laughs> and I'm looking at the thing and, and it raised its head. It looked like, you know, a sheep kind of laying on its four legs on the grass and its nose was enormous. And it looked at me and it smiled and it started laughing and then it morphed into this huge boulder. And of course I couldn't stop because the traffic was flowing and I thought, no, that's bizarre. So then every day going to work and coming back, I knew exactly where I saw it and there was no boulder there. No, no tree, no huge rock, no nothing. So I thought, okay, well, it doesn't get up and move on its own. So I saw something that was, that laughed at me, that was just kind of saying hi. So I, I have those kind of encounters. And depending where you are in nature, what people think of as fairies is their adaptation of where they live. So like my gnome who lives under the stairs, so he was a quiet, private dude. He's not going to be talking to me. He may move around the house, you know, but I respect him and I barely talk to him. I would leave him things like little food every now and then. But he was taciturn. And out in the forest or out when I was camping, there would be a different kind of a vibe and a different kind of spirits that would come forward. And when I talk about elementals, and I don't know how other people feel about this, but to me, they were just as real and just as belonging to this earth as any other natural animal might be or a natural person might be. Not from another dimension, not from a person who has passed on, not from, you know, a UFO or anything. This is part of the earth, something that we don't always open ourselves up to see, but some people have an affinity for, and that's me.
In talking to Devora, she's very clear about what she's experienced. These are not vague, ambiguous encounters. She's not speaking in metaphors. And she's never been shy about talking about it. I'm very open with everybody because I have no shame in my weirdness. <laughs> I always think there's somebody who needs to hear this. Devorah has ideas about why she's had so much experience with elemental or natural spirits. They were the ones closest to me since I was a child. I was always very open to the out-of-the-norm type of experience and just willing to accept and learn and explore whatever came my way without just shutting it down or saying, no, I couldn't possibly have seen that. I must be crazy. I must be schizophrenic. I must be whatever. While Devorah has interacted with elementals most of her life, it hasn't always gone smoothly. Now, I've had scary experiences, but because I've been led through childhood, I came out okay, I guess is the word for it. I learned how to, just like you do with human beings, set up boundaries so that you're not needlessly attacked or that you're not needlessly taken advantage of, that you maintain your individuality. When Devorah talks about boundaries, again, this is not metaphor. For example, she did not want to be awakened by chatty spirits at night. Do you think ghosts only come out at night? No, you know, it it's because the world is quiet. The noise, the background noise settles down. The energy that comes from our thoughts and our bodies are settling down and quiet. So it's easier to communicate on a soul level, if you will, at night because things are quiet, because people are quiet, because there's not as much background noise. And since it's so much easier to communicate at night, part of me putting up boundaries so that I wouldn't be startled out of a sound sleep by somebody wanting to talk to me, I would say, okay, we're going to make this appointment for tomorrow at midnight, if that's what you want, and set it up that way, like you're talking to an actual appointment person. And that way um, you set up your own boundaries and you're less fearful of communicating with someone who may or may not need help or who may or may not be wanting to help you, or at least share their life experience. Devorah's own life experience has involved more mundane things, like marrying and having two sons and getting divorced. She lived in Israel for several years, which is where her family is from. She completed the obligatory two-year service in the National Army there, where her experience enduring rocket attacks led to unpleasant reactions around fireworks. And every 4th of July, I, I never found it interesting to hear rockets booming <laughs> because of that. Devorah had moved back to the U.S. at that time. So I would go camping and get as far away from the public and people as I could, just not to hear the noise. And also, too, because I'm a quiet person, I like to get out in nature. And I made it a regular practice to go up to a place in the lower Sierra Mountains in California. And because it was a holiday, nobody would ever be there. And of course, and even if there were people there, there wouldn't, they wouldn't have fireworks because of, you know, the fire warnings and things like that. So peace and quiet. 
One particular 4th of July, when her sons were four and six years old, Devorah headed up to go camping with them in the Sierras. She was looking forward to the full moon. That particular full moon was supposed to be one of those big moons where the moon is closer to the Earth and it looks enormous and it was going to be clear, no cloud cover. So I knew up in the mountains it would have a million stars to look at and just be beautiful at the place that I loved up there. And uh, looking forward to having a natural nightlight, if you would, (laughs) with a big, beautiful moon. And when I go up to the mountains, I would make what I call protection fairy water. And it's kind of like a naturalistic holy water where um, my friends would ask me for it all the time. And you do that under the full moon. Uh, There's a lot of protection that goes on. Water also reflects back. So what it does when you go through this process and after I go through the ritual under the full moon and let it soak up the the rays of the, the full moon, it it would reflect back and act sort of like a mirror against any ill will coming at you, whether it be someone else's ill will coming at you or just things that you don't think about that are coming at you, Murphy's Law, that kind of thing. So it's, it's really very nice. Devorah arrived with her boys at her favorite camping spot. And that particular spot that I always went to, whether it was by myself or with friends or with my boys, I always called my fairy pool. The Kern River is a very strong river. People use it to go whitewater rafting. But where I go, the Kern River was the main river going down the mountain. And then there was a a little tributary of a stream that was just so magical and where we you could swim without worrying about being swept away and at night it had a different sort of an aura and i thought that's where i want to make my fairy water it's from ancient religions even the major three ones judaism christianity islam you have to use living water meaning you can't turn on a faucet and fill up something That's not living water. You can't go to a pool. It has to be natural, either ocean, seawater, or stream water, river water, something that is moving and going through the land. Devorah and her sons had the area to themselves. They set up their tent and then spent a lovely day swimming in the stream and picking flowers. After they ate dinner, Devorah played guitar and they sang songs together. Evening came. We watched the stars for a while and we talked and I put them down to bed, made sure that they were asleep. I waited an extra while just to make sure they were really, really gone. I waited for the moon to come out because I wanted it to be the full, full moon. So it must have been around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. And I gathered up my things to go down to the stream, which at night is very different. You have to be careful. You can't hear anything because of the rush of the water. Things can be very slippery. The bank was a very, it was about four feet high going down. And in the evening, you don't see things. So you have to make sure that you don't slip 
on anything because of the spray of the water, etc. When the moon came up over the ridge of the mountains, it was like having the beam of light from a lighthouse all of a sudden spotlight down on me. Devorah made her way to the bank of the stream and noticed that the rocks they'd been swimming among earlier in the day were made of white limestone and were now glowing in the moonlight. They reflected back the light in such a pure manner. So I was thrilled. I was getting more excited by the minute. I was also being very aware and very careful, as I said, because of the water spray. I didn't want to drop anything. I was carrying a fairly large lead crystal bowl. I also was carrying some of the wildflowers my sons and I had gathered during the day. Devorah waded carefully into the water and noticed something. I hadn't realized it during the day, but the rocks, they were in a semicircle. And it was like having a mini Stonehenge all around me. At the very center of the semicircle of limestone was a flat rock raised slightly above the level of the water. So that it was like a table kind of floating on the water, but it wasn't floating. Devorah laid out her ritual objects along with the crystal bowl. Standing on this natural altar in the middle of the stream, she began the process of making fairy water. She dipped the crystal bowl full of the water and set it down under the moonlight. And just started meditating, put the flowers all around the bowl, and saying the things that I say to help make this blessed water and to help it protect whoever needs it. She was sitting quietly on this rock in the middle of the stream, alone. When all of a sudden I heard singing, like all around me, So I knew then that the fairies were there and they were getting closer and closer. And I felt if you ever feel someone coming up behind you in the dark and you know somebody's there, you can feel this pressure. That's what I felt, but from all around me, it seemed like there were more and more and more people there. And I called out, that I was here in friendship and love because I felt a a little bit of animosity, like who are you and why are you in our space kind of a thing. So I said, I'm here in respect and love. I'm here for the water and I won't stay. But if you'll let me do this, I promise not to injure anything while I'm here. And I felt a little better and the singing got louder I don't know if you can call it singing. I've heard this type of music song before where it's like a musical, natural vibration. If you were to talk about the wind making noise through a a river reed, and it's that type of music or like a high voltage wire that's thrumming in the wind. It's, It's a natural sound in a way, but it also sounds like music and it sounds like it's all around you. So I was, I was getting very hyped up. I was just loving it. I had asked for permission. I had asked for protection. I was in the middle of making this water. I felt like it, the whole energy that evening was charged around me when I heard something completely different. Not the elementals, not the fairies, not anything else. I heard 
a male deep voice saying, Ema, where are you? Ema in Hebrew means mother, which is what my boys called me. So I looked up the bank and I, I thought I was going to see a stranger, although why they would call me mom, I don't know. And what I saw instead was my four-year-old son on the precipice of the bank. And if he had taken one more step, he would have slid down the bank and probably hit his head or something like that. It was a steep slope. It wasn't a cliff, but it was a, a bank down to the river. And I told him, don't move, don't move. And then I could, I saw just as fast that it looked like he was sleepwalking because he wasn't looking anywhere. He was just kind of swaying back and forth to the music. And so I let the bowl, I let everything I had just sit there on that river table. And I ran as without even feeling it as fast as I could up to my son and grabbed him so that he couldn't take another step. And sure enough, he was fast asleep, but on his feet. And I thought, how in the world did he find me? It wasn't very close to the tent. The tent in the camping area was a good 200, 250 yards from the precipice of where you would go down into the stream. How could he have found me? He didn't know I could have gone in any direction in this forest, you know. And when you're down near the water, all you hear is water. So there's no way he could have heard me by me talking, by anything, you know, even if he were awake. He wouldn't have known which direction I went in. So I said, come on, honey, let's go back. And I walked him back to the tent, put him back inside. I stayed there for a long time. In fact, I thought I'm not even going down back to the river till the morning. Devorah left everything on the makeshift table. And my intent at the time, even before my son showed up, was to leave it out all night because my goal was to just let it soak up the moonshine. I was probably going to move it to a more secure spot, but I left it the minute that my son showed up and I said, hope it doesn't fall over and crack or whatever, but I won't check on it till the morning. Then in the morning, I went down. The first thing I saw was everything where I had left it. I found my bowls sitting there. The flowers were kind of all over the place. The energy was turned down significantly from the night before, but I still felt it. And out loud, I thanked anyone who was listening again for keeping my son safe and for letting me make the water and for letting me use their space. Devorah divided the water up into small pretty bottles that she would use to give it away later. When she asked her son about what had happened, he didn't remember any of it. As for the sleepwalking. He never had previously to this an episode of sleepwalking and he never had one after for the rest of his life. As for why the spirit of the river helped Devorah save her son, she recalled the animosity she felt when she first got there the previous night and the fact that she'd asked permission to be there. It was a holy space and they didn't really want me there. And I was not there for very long. So it's almost as though they used him 
to get me out of there sooner. Like, okay, we'll let you do this, but enough's enough already, go away. That's as much as Devorah cares to analyze what happened that night. I've learned part of what allows further experience is to accept things when they happen. When things happen to me like this, I kind of go, huh, okay, well, that's cool. (laughs) And I just accept it. And I don't look for a deeper meaning. I, you know, I thank whatever's there or whoever allowed the experience. Something else, whenever I have experiences with the elementals and I've been pushed by them where I'll fall flat on my butt, I break out laughing. It's just humorous to me. Even when they're grumpy with me, I feel blessed and happy and, and I laugh about it. You know, to me, this elemental world is not a separate world at all. It's not a spirit world. It's as natural and as frequent as when I take a walk down to the corner store. There's nothing different. It's not another dimension. It's not, they're, they're just, they're living their lives. Now they may be a little, what's the word, um, not a regular occurrence, but that's because people, when they lose touch with the world around them, they get blinders on. They, they lose touch with the world that created us. And believe me, I'm Jewish. I'm not pagan. I'm not any of that. But I know miracles are as common as the flowers in our flower pot. There was a Jewish sage that said, nature are miracles that we have grown used to. And that's something I always keep at the forefront of my brain when I'm out in nature, how extraordinary everything is, how extraordinary our bodies are, how extraordinary our connections are to each other as human beings or to animals or to whatever. So when people ask, well, how come I can't see them or how come you see them so much? Well, I keep myself very open when something happens near me, I'll make a note of it. I'll, I may not say, wow, that was a sign. I better write this down in my horoscope or something like that. No, but I make a note of it. And you have to be aware of everything that's around you. And the elementals whose nature, by, by their nature, may be not to be as visible unless you're looking for it. You have to notice your environment. People would want my fairy water to use as a tool. And instead, I would not only urge them to make their own, but I urge everybody to really keep in touch with nature. That's where you get a good grounding. That's where you get a good peace from. Whatever your beliefs are, that's where you're in touch with your inner spirit and with the world around you. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. 
Support for this episode comes from Against the Odds, a podcast from Wondery about thrilling stories of survival as heroes push themselves to their limits. Listen to Against the Odds on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Thank you to all of you who support Nocturne on Patreon and PayPal. We have just about a week left of our special offer campaign on Patreon, and the response has been amazing. So many of you have pledged in the past couple of weeks or increased the support you've already been giving, and it helps so, so much. If you haven't joined yet, please head over now to patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast. Any amount you can give is helpful. And if you pledge $5 a month or more before October 22nd, I'll send you a treat bag with Nocturne stickers and more. And you'll get access to monthly Nightlight bonus episodes, regular updates and behind-the-scenes posts from me, and the good feeling of contributing to something that you care about. Again, that's patreon.com slash nocturnepodcast. Till next time, thanks for listening.